well, I feel like I've already preached a message. Maybe we should just call it a day and go home, huh? That's where you're supposed to yell, no! You guys missed that part. So we're between sermon series this week. Uh, for these two weeks, and, and what I want to do for this week, uh, while we're in between these sermon series, is I want to travel back in time uh, to the Old Testament, uh, to the book of Daniel, to be more specific. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the book of Daniel, it is about a boy who got bullied as a young teenager, and then learned karate under the tutelage of a man named Mr. Miyagi, and went on to win the All-Valley Karate Tournament. Some of you got that joke. Some of you didn't think it was funny and you laughed anyway. I appreciate that. Thank you for supporting me in my bad humor for five years. Now, Daniel is the story of a young man who was taken. He was an Israelite, and the whole Old Testament's about the Israelites, and these are the people group uh, that Jesus was born out of. And they were taken captive by the Babylonians. And in those times, what the Babylonians would do is when they conquered your nation, they would take your best, they would take your brightest, and they would take them in and indoctrinate them into their culture. Because they would be like, you know, you got the skills, so we're going to use you. And so as a young 13, 14, 15-year-old, something like that, he was brought into this culture. And he was quickly trained up in the kingdom, in the palace, to serve the king. And Daniel is probably one of my favorite biographical books because Daniel shows how to live a life that believes God is in control in a world where everything feels like he's not in control. Do you believe that God is sovereign this morning? Do you believe that he is in control? For those of you agreeing, when trouble hits your life, do your words, do your actions match that agreement? When you are thrust into situations where it does not seem like God is in control, do you act like he is in control? Our goal in this church, as I said a minute ago, is to help people find hope in the Lord. And I tell you, the only way that we can do that is if we show them that God is the one who is in control. That we live a life that speaks and and, and acts as if God is in control. And so my goal this morning is that we can see in another example of Daniel how to live in such a way that we show those around us that God is in control, that he may be glorified. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome to have said of your life that in your hardest times, that in your darkest times, you lived in such a way that you help people see the glory of God? May that be what we are driven to this morning by his spirit. Amen, church? Now, today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. Now, there are 49 verses in Daniel chapter 2, and if I were to read them all, I would have more people fall asleep on me than usual. So there are certain parts I'm just going to sum up. Uh, the story for you. Uh, if you want to follow along in those parts, you can find Daniel. In the, the Bible's provided you in the seats uh, below. I'll have some of the scriptures on the screen as well. So let me give you the context of Daniel chapter 2. There's this Babylonian king called King Nebuchadnezzar. <coughs> Sorry, I'll chuck it up here. And he is having a bunch of dreams. And some of these dreams were really bothering him. And it says his mind became disturbed. It caused him to have insomnia. Couldn't sleep. He tried counting sheep. He tried turning down the temperature. He tried getting a white noise machine. They didn't have those in those days. He tried getting a few of the court people standing there and just go, that didn't work. Tried melatonin, a warm glass of milk, nothing was working. 
So the king ordered some of his wisest men, his magicians, his astrologers, his sorcerers, to come in and interpret his dream for him, because that's kind of standard practice for those days. But when they came before him, the king threw in a twist. He said, not only do you have to interpret my dream, you have to tell me what the dream was before you interpret it. He says, if you do this, I'm going to load you up with cash and wealth. And if you can't do this, I am going to dismember you. It means I'm going to chop you to pieces. And so the wise men, they said, listen, king, just, just tell us the dream. And the king says, I don't trust you. Y'all going to work together to tell me what I want to hear. But if I, you can tell me the dream, the dream, I know I can trust you. Now, the wise men knew that they could not do this, so the, the king became angry. And he ordered all of the wise men to be slaughtered. Remember that the next time you are worried about having a tough boss. So they're in line to be dismembered. Now, if the king seems like he's overreacting just a touch, a tad, you've got to understand that in those days, kings lived in fear. There was always somebody looking for the power and control that you had as a king. This is why they had food tasters. It wasn't to make sure it was tasty enough or there was enough spice. So it wasn't poisoned. And so kings thrived on the control of their people. They would never, they would never show weakness. They would never allow anything to perceive them as weak because it was a threat to their control. But really, this is not a king thing. It's a human thing. Anytime something comes into our lives that threatens our feeling of control, isn't our initial response fear? We're afraid of losing control that we think we have. We're afraid of losing the influence that we think we have, whether it be in our families, in our churches, our schools, our jobs our communities, or any place that we have influence. And like the king, we can tend to lash out in anger and to punish those around us who threaten our control. I mean, I wonder, I was thinking about my own life, where are you in your life lashing out at people, trying to grab back the control that you think is slipping through your grasp? Now, notice I said the control you think you have. Because Scripture tells us something different. Scripture tells us that there is one God, and we are not him. Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says this. It says, today realize and carefully consider that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. And this is important for us to highlight, because when this realization hits you, it ushers in a humility in your life that we all need. I mean, when you think about it, the control we have over our lives is so limited. Events and people can take away control in our lives in a heartbeat, in a snap. We don't have control. And I don't say this to be depressing. I say this because when you realize this and you accept it, it becomes free. It takes a weight off of you because you can stop trying to achieve an impossible task and that is be in control. 
And instead, what God intends for us is to start looking to the one who actually is in control. I'll tell you right now that you can never fully commit your life to God. You will never fully be able to trust in him until you can admit, I I have no control. Life is out of my control. And I'll tell you right now, you have a problem with anger, it's because you have a problem with control. You have a problem with pride, it's because you have a problem with control. Anxiety anxiety fill your life, you have a problem with control. Stress fills your life, you have a problem with control. But man, when you give up that control and you're like, you know what? I have no idea what's coming. I don't know what's good. I don't even know what's bad. It, it, it takes this weight off of you and it causes you to look to God. And like that great theologian Carrie Underwood once sang, Jesus, just take the wheel. Because he already has the wheel anyway. And this, when you were able to do this, you are able to finally be in a place where you can see how God wants to use you. Now, some might ask, because I asked this before, what does it mean to live a life that believes God is in control? Like, what does that practically look like? Right? Because it's easy just to say it and amen, to sing about it. But when that stuff comes, what's it look like? Well, I think Daniel gives us a few markers, so we're going to take a quick look. We're going to pick this up in verse 13. Remember, all the king, the king just had ordered all the wise men to be... Verse 13. So a decree went out, and the wise men were about to be executed. And they also sought Daniel and his friends so they could be executed. Now imagine yourself in Daniel's situation. We've all been, there, been here where we're about to be punished for something we didn't, where we didn't even do anything wrong. Talk about a total loss of control in your life. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone to, to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. You see what Daniel did here? He went to the king and he asked for some time. Now, if it were me, I would have been packing my my bags to get out of Dodge. I've been shoving everything in a bag as fast as I can. I said, Lord, I know that you have so much for me to do in this world to serve you. I need to get out of here so I am not murdered so I can serve you properly. I've been out the door. I've been crawling through duct work, going out windows, whatever it takes, hiding in laundry bins, sewer crawling, whatever. But somebody who believes God is in control doesn't start with the question, how can I get out of this? They start with the question, how can God use me? How can God use me? Have you ever considered that? The trouble that is in your life, the struggle that you're going through, the thing that is weighing you down, the thing that seems to be punishing you, that God has allowed you to be in that place because he has purpose for you. You cannot read about the God of the Bible 
and then ever look at any situation in your life and think that God could have no purpose for this. It's impossible because God is willing to put anything, anybody into anything for his glory. There is no limit. For those of you going through stuff right now, have you stopped and said, Lord, how can you use me? Have you looked to see where God might use you? Have you explored that? Are you just thinking, how do I get out of this? How do I fix this? Now we see the king graciously give Daniel more time. You know, notice what it said, he went to him with, with tact. He didn't go in panic because he believes and trusts in the control of God. And then what happens is we see Daniel go from here and he holds what the, is the first, first recorded student prayer meeting in the history of the world, right here. First time. Daniel 2.17, it says, Then Daniel went to his home and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the matter. And he asked them to pray for mercy from the, the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends would not be destroyed along with the, the rest of the wise men of Babylon. See, when you believe that God is in control, when you start looking where he can use you in times of trouble, what's the first thing that you need to do? You ask God for help. You ask God for help. You look to him for help. Even as Christians in this American, I can do it, I can fix it culture, sometimes prayer is like the last thing and not the first thing. We try to go do, talk to who we can talk to, go do what we can do, text who we can text, post what we can post so that we can fix the problem without going to God in prayer. Especially us guys, we love to fix things. And we all think we're like Felix from Fix It Felix Jr., the video game. I can fix it. Far too many of us, and I'm a doer, so I speak to myself the same, prayer is our last resort. We try everything in our own power, and only when it all fails do we turn to God in prayer. I mean, think about it. Think about the last problem you faced. Maybe you're going through it right now. How quickly did you ask God for help? How quickly did you look to him in confidence, believing he was the one in control and say, God, what do you want me to do? I need your help. I need your spirit. I need your strength. We are never meant to do it on our own. Like I said, that Bible verse that gets most quoted all the time that I hate above all things, that God will never give us more than we can handle is a bunch of bad stuff. Watch my terminology there. God gives us more than we can handle all the time. He loves to give us more than we can handle. He's here, you can't handle it. Here, here, here. Why? Because when we have things we can't handle, it forces us to look to him. A life that says I'm giving God control goes to prayer. Whether it is on your knees at the foot of your bed when you're driving in your car and you're standing in a parking lot, laying flat on the ground, whether you're in private or you're in public, you say, God, I need your help. I need your strength. I cannot do this. Because you know God's in control. I mean, we sang it earlier. He's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He is the light in the what? The light in the darkness. And we know from scripture, he will answer you. What? God of heaven, 
Alpha and Omega. If the Bible is true in what it says, God will answer you when you pray. Like he says in Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you. And look at this last part. You shall glorify me. Oh, that's a big one. That's a big one. You shall glorify me. I don't know about you, when I pray to God, I'm just praying to get out of trouble. That's all I pray. Lord, make my life ease. Give me trouble. Get me out of this. I don't often pray and let me glorify you. But all of our prayer, the times that he saves us, is all about to glorify him. Because if he is the only one that can save us from our sin, to give us identity and hope in this world, then we want to make sure our lives point to him. And then notice, he doesn't pray on his own. Daniel, he gets, he gets other people to pray with him. He goes, pray with me. Once again, we're in this American, I want to do it on my own, not show weakness culture. This is why God created the church. We are not meant to do it alone. I mean, why do we gather once a week just to, to, to listen to everybody's vocal abilities or lack thereof? No, it's to come together, to study the word of God, to pray for one another, to encourage and to build each other up. That's why I love our ladies right now. They're doing three to four weeks on prayer and they're praying together. They're saying, here's what's going on in my life. Here's, here are my struggles. Will you pray with me? We wait too long to ask for prayer. Oh man, I look forward to a day where every hindrance in our hearts in this church to keep secrets, to not ask people from prayer would just be ripped out of us and that we would be so quick to ask people for prayer. Say, you, you, come here. I'm so desperate, I need you to pray for me. That we may see God work in our lives, that he may answer us, and that we may glorify him. Do you hear me this morning, church? Hmm. Now, then, then I love what he does, because what happens is he gives, he gives Daniel the answer. He says, okay, here's what the prayer meant. And here's what Daniel does. This is great. He says, then in a night vision, the mystery was revealed to Daniel. So Daniel praised the God of heaven, saying, let the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes times and season, deposing some kings and establishing others. He gives wisdom to the wise. He imparts knowledge to those with understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light resides in him. O God of my fathers, I acknowledge and glorify you, for you have bestowed wisdom and power upon me, now that you have enabled me to understand what I have requested from you, for you have enabled me to understand the king's dilemma. This is so important. He gets this answer, and if it were me and God gave me that answer, I would have been putting on my slippers, I'd have been putting on my robe, I'd have been running to the king and saying, Look, king, I know the answer. Shower me with praise and reward. Load me up. But Daniel stops to praise the Lord. A life that believes that God is in control always is quick to give God the credit. Man, do you give God the credit when he comes through in your life? Because if you're like me, when I need God to come through, I'll be like, Jesus, I need you. 
I, I realized like three years ago, I was doing this with Sunday morning. I come in here on Sunday morning and I pray. You know, I pray like 5.45. I get in here and I pray for 15 minutes or so before I work on my sermon. I'm like, Lord, oh, this sermon's horrible. Nobody will get anything out of this. I need you to come through. And then, and you know God, he'll take anything. And, and no matter how bad or, you know, it is, and he'll, he'll, he'll bless it. He'll bring the word of God out of it. You know, he's awesome like that. And I noticed something one day when I was walking out after checking all the doors, making sure they're locked and stuff like that. I'm like, I'm like thank you, God. I'm like, man. The amount of effort I put into asking God for things and the amount of effort I put into thanking God for things is way out of balance. And I bet I'm not the only one. But Daniel shows us something so perfect. He stops and he says he praises the Lord. And it is so important to praise the Lord and thank him because it reminds us again he is in control. That he's the one who provides. So after this, Daniel praised the Lord, and he went to take care of business. I'm going to pick this up in verse 26. He says, then the king, the king then asked Daniel, whose name was also Belshazzar, if I can say that three times fast, are you able to make known the dream I saw as well as the interpretation? Daniel replied to the king, the mystery that the king is asking about is such that no wise men, astrologers, magicians, or diviners can possibly disclose it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the times to come. The dream and the visions you had while lying on your bed are as follows. As for you, O king, while you were in your bed, your thoughts turned to future things. The revealer of mystery has made known to you what will take place. Pretty much saying, King, you dreamed a prophecy. He says, as for me, this mystery was revealed to me not because I possess more wisdom than any other living person, but so that the king may understand that your interpretation and, and comprehend the thoughts of your mind. I love the boldness of Daniel here. See, a life that believes God's control gives God the credit, not just privately, but publicly. Sum up what Daniel's going on to say, and he'll continue to say is, look, no one can answer this dream but God. This is it. This isn't me, king. It's the Lord. One of the things we must get so good at is when people come to us for help or they notice something, things in us, that we must be quick to point them to the Lord. Quick to point him to the Lord. We must, people must understand that when God moves in our lives, it's not because of us. See, because here's what happens. We'll take, I have people come up to me sometimes, you know, and, and they'll be like, man, you're such a great preacher. Uh, not everybody says that, but for the ones that do. And I could never do that. Now, I got a couple options in that moment. I can say, thank you. God bless you. I appreciate you noticing. Okay. And when I do that, what have I done? I have said, yeah, I'm great at preaching. I'm great at doing this or doing that. That is something I possess, I have. That is not something you possess or that you have. But when I respond, I say, oh, thank you so much. God has been so faithful to give me these gifts and ability to speak by the power of his spirit. When I pointed to God, then what am I communicating to them is that the gifts and the abilities I have, they're not just me, they're not for me, they are available to everybody by God. 
They're communicating that, look, God gave me gifts, and he can also give you gifts. Because it's not about me, it's because about him. Now, not all our gifts look the same. But they all have the same power and strength and ability because they come from the Lord. We must always be quick to give God the credit. When we take the credit or we don't emphasize giving God the credit, we're emphasizing ourselves and our abilities. But when we're quick to give God the credit, even in situations where it feels uncomfortable to do so, we are in a role giving those people an opportunity to look and ponder the possibilities of what God can do in their lives. Are you with me, church? We must always give God the credit. Even in times where sometimes where we're asking, I remember I had a guy come to me, snapped at me once. It was, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. And, and he, he goes, I want to apologize for snapping at you earlier. I'm like, oh, that's okay. I'm like, what made you think to do that? That's so humble of you. And, and he was like, you know what? I didn't even think about it, but God brought it to my mind. He showed me where I was in error. And I'm just being obedient to him. I'm like, man, Wow. And what that opened up to me and taught me was that sometimes God's going to say, you know what, you could have handled that better. See, he gave me a possibility in that moment in giving credit to God. We must give credit to the Lord. I pray that we would all remember that this week. Now in verses 31 through 36, Daniel tells the king exactly what he dreamed. I want you to imagine yourself sitting there having someone tell you what you dreamed. Something like nobody else could have known, and yet they're telling you that. Here we go. He says, you, O king, were watching a great statue, one of impressive size and extraordinary brightness. It was standing before you, and its appearance caused alarm. And as for that statue, its head was of fine gold. Its chest and its arms were made of silver. Its belly and its thighs were made of bronze. Its legs were of iron and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So we got this giant statue. And this is a picture of kind of what it looks like, right? He's dreaming of this giant picture. And it seems... And I know this seems like a weird picture to look at, but, you, you know, if you, you've all probably had some pretty freaky dreams, so that maybe, you know, it's not so weird after all. Now, for the sake of time, I'm explaining the rest of this dream to you. I'll summarize it for you. After the king saw the statue, Daniel goes on, he saw a giant stone that was sent by God, hurled down to it, and it destroyed the statue completely. So much that not of a trace of this giant statue could be found. All that was left was the giant stone that was hurled at it. It was so large, the stone, that it filled the earth. And then Daniel goes on to interpret the dream for the king. He says, king, the dream represents different country, kingdoms. And these kingdoms all made up this statue, these different parts. And each country would build on top of another. And all these kingdoms, in a way, represent the ruling of mankind in the world. And if you notice, each kingdom was built on a weaker material than the material that it was made on. It's a statue that starts out in grandeur and beauty and it ends in weakness, made of clay. Starts with feet of clay, is made with a head of gold. 
You see, we as humans, we operate with the idea that we get better and stronger as time. This is one of the things I get when I talk to people about scripture. Oh, well, we've outgrown scripture. We've become more scientific, more knowledgeable. We're better. I would say if we were going better and stronger in time, we would not have to put warning labels on Tide Pods that says don't eat these. But just my opinion. Every nation is trying to build themselves to greater power and to greater control. We see this all the time between the US, China, Russia, and other nations, all wrestling for control. But God says that every one of these nations is built on something that is weak, even our nation. In fact, interesting Bible trivia note, Saddam Hussein, he declared himself the reincarnation of King Nebuchadnezzar. Back when the, before the Gulf War, Gulf War started, remember 30 years ago? He claimed that he was going to rebuild ancient Babylon and restore it back to a world power. So Daniel's saying, listen, the kingdoms of the world have it wrong. And there's going to be these four kingdoms, king, that come after you. There's going to be four of them that will come after you. And we know that uh, the, 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 after the Babylonian Empire, it gave, uh, gave way to the, the, the Medo Persian Empires, it gave way to the Greece and the Roman Empires. And, and we could get like, wrapped up today and like, determine if all of these kingdoms Daniel was referring to, uh, referring to or not were these kingdoms, because some don't think it is. But we're not going to do that, because our goal is to figure out what it means for us in our lives and what God wants to communicate because as we read in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the world, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And what he's revealing here is that God is in control. Verse 44, it says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will raise up an everlasting kingdom that will not be destroyed, a kingdom that will not be left to another people. It will break in pieces and bring about the demise of all these kingdoms, but it will stand forever. The final part of this dream is that one day every kingdom of man is going to fall. Just like every government has fallen throughout history, it will continue to do so until the time that God comes again and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes to reign, built on his kingdom forever and ever. We see Christ referenced as a stone, as a stone time and time and time and time again in Scripture. And we could talk, once again spend endless time talking about when this is going to happen. Actually, I even thought about the end of next year. We might do a little series on Revelation. Never thought I'd do that on Sunday morning, but I'm getting there now. But the point is that we need to understand and what he was communicating to this king is that God is in control. And that whatever he allows and whatever's going on is only because he has allowed it. And because when we remember this, that at the end of time, that God will make all things right, it's what gives us the strength and the courage to say to him, how do you want to use me? To say to him, I need your help, and to be able to give him the credit and point other people to him. Because the war has already been won. Can I get an amen, church? Isaiah 46 says, remember what I accomplished in antiquity. Antiquity, if I can get it out. Truly I am God, I have no peer. I am God and there is none like me. Who announces the end from the beginning and reveals beforehand what has not yet occurred. Who says my plan will be realized. I will accomplish what I desire. 
And after Daniel gives this interpretation, the king replies with this, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. This, once again, is why Daniel could walk into the fire. In the end, he knows God will make things right. He will bring justice. He will bring his kingdom, which is eternal. And if eternity means a space so big that we cannot even visualize it, and our life is this small in comparison, then we can endure suffering, we can endure troubles, we can endure in trials of this life because we know they'll be done like this. And if they can be used by God and by our obedience and looking and trusting to him to point other people to him, then it's worth it for this to impact lives for eternity. Amen, church? So my prayer this morning is this. If you are yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you will realize whatever you worship, and you all worship something, whatever you worship is made of feet of clay, and it's going to crumble. If you worship like we did in school, looking cool and being popular, it'll crumble. If you worship being loaded with lots of money, having important jobs, you know how quickly it can crumble. If you worship being beautiful, that will definitely crumble. Just give it time. That whatever you put your faith in, whatever you think can give you control and power, it will crumble. The only thing that rises above all of that, the only thing that cannot be taken away is the salvation that is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray you feel, you sense, and you respond to the Holy Spirit today.